0: Hello and welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. I am your host, JJ Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. Arif, how we doing out there? We are one week I away. I know you hate that question. It, I know you hate it.
1: I know, but we're <laughs> one week away from o- opening night, so for once, I actually have a response for you, and we're doing great because we are one week away from opening night.
0: Uh, c- crazy stuff going on in our country today, so obviously I hope everyone out there is staying safe and staying sane, but uh, we are of course here to talk about some hockey that we didn't see and for that reason I'm a little bit bitter right now Arif, and I've been a little bit bitter all week and I know I'm sure a lot of people out there can feel me on this and you know I'd like to hear some listeners feedback but I'm really upset about not so much that we aren't allowed to go to training camp because I understand that they don't want to be held liable for you know us suddenly getting sick and how or why and suddenly try to chase who do we get it from well did we pass it on to this guy or this guy but I'm just more upset that they're they're the Avalanche aren't taking the necessary steps. And you know it's so easily done to just stream the camp for us, right? I want to watch the hockey. I want to see it. I, I don't want to just hear from Jared Bednar how his opinion is. And, it, and it, I'm just really rattled about it because this is a team with so much promise right now, right? And a lot of attention can potentially be had by the Avalanche right now. Not only across the country, but I think in Colorado itself. I would say... of Colorado residents don't care and don't know much about the avalanche. So why are you wasting an opportunity to grow across all boards when it's something so easy, so cheap? You know this is an idea that has probably been pitched. Actually, I know this is an idea that has been pitched to the team even in years past. Hey, why don't we just stream training camp? But, of course, they're not willing to jump through the hoops for for the fans. And I think – the fans are the ones that should be here insulted. Now, forgive my rant. I'd love to hear your two cents on it.
1: No, I I mean, I completely agree with you. And in my short time in Denver, and I hope this doesn't get me on any media blacklist or anything, but the Avalanche just don't do as good a job as other organizations do. And as much as it is an insult to the fans, I truly think the Avalanche organization just doesn't want media to be a part of this. And... I don't say that from the sense of actually being there in person because, again, I understand it the exact same reasons as you. But for whatever reason, there's this weird divide here in Denver from what I've seen with the Red Wings, from what I've seen in other organizations. There's a weird divide between the team and the media in Denver that I can't wrap my finger around. And this is coming from someone, you, as you know, who's not by any means a veteran in this industry. But just to give you an example, so – Obviously, coming from Detroit, I know a lot of Red Wings uh, media, and I'm, I'm very close with, with people that are close to that organization. And to just give you an example, this summer, when the Red Wings had press conferences with Steve Eiserman, when they had press conferences with, their, uh, with, with Jeff Blaschel, with Dylan Larkin, who's expected to be named the next captain, the Red Wings always streamed live on Twitter those press conferences that their media asked questions to Iserman and they streamed it live on Twitter. Here is the media in our city talking to our general manager. When Joe Sackick and Gabe Landeskog were made available at the end of the season uh, and during the Phase 3 training camp, the Avalanche did not stream the media. What they did was they allowed us to talk to the coach, to talk to the GM, to talk to the captain, and then they threw it on the website. And then as soon as they hung up with our media, They went on Twitter, they started a live stream and said, here is Kyle Keefe and Mark Mosier, Avalanche employees, talking to Jared Bednar, talking to Joe Sackick, talking to Landeskog, ultimately asking 90% of the same questions that the media ask, but they don't stream the media one. They stream their state-run media version of that, their employees' version of that. And that's the kind of weird divide. That just is a comparison between the Red Wings and the Avalanche. And I know people hate when I talk about the Red Wings so much, but I'm from Detroit. That's where I learned the ropes. That's where I got all my experience as a journalist is from journalists that are part of the Detroit media. And that, to me, is the biggest thing. And I understand it. It sucks for the fans. And if I was, you know, a fan living in Detroit, I would want to see them. I would want to see the Avalanche training camp. But there's just this weird divide here. And I can't wrap my finger around why it happens and I'm really curious to see what goes on with this upcoming season, because I feel like the Avalanche might take extra, let's call them precautions with air quotes, uh, as an excuse to drive media away from being able to cover things like, for example, this training camp.
0: Right. Absolutely. They've got an opportunity to kind of box everybody else out. Right. And the thing is, they're not exactly seizing the opportunity. I I I kind of called the avalanche out the other day about how just non-informative they were being about their tweets on training camp day one, right? We want to hear more info. We don't want to hear the stupid things they're tweeting about, like Ian Cole's beard and Martin Cow being focused. Give us some hockey info, not this, you know, playful fan stuff. So I hate to be so critical of the team, especially when they do control the credentials, right? And that's another thing. You know, we're kind of scared to talk about it because they are in the power of our credentials, right? And they yeah. have their own media. So they don't need us to be in that press box. They do yeah. it because, it, in all fairness to, to everybody else. But, you know, there's the, the I'm upset about it, but I kind of just do this more as a hobby. I can't imagine how the guys who do this as a living, Mike Chambers, Adrian Dater, people who are fighting for subscriptions out there, how they're supposed to continue to put out the most quality content when the, the team's not giving them anything. And it's just tough to see because it really feels like the team just doesn't care. You know, it it, it stems back, we we recently talked about the Pierre Lacroix mindset, right? Keeping yeah. everything close to the vest. And it all it almost stems from that. And they kind of took it too far. There
1: is an extent. There is an extent, exactly. There is an extent to take keeping it close to the vest. And the way that, look, freedom of the press is a very important thing. If people don't believe in journalists, I don't know what to tell you. I don't like when a journalist goes on Twitter and says, I, I I dislike how A, B, and C is being taken away. And then you know 70, 75 people on Twitter respond back to them saying, uh, uh, stop being a baby, stop crying about this, you're blah, 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 you're just whining. It's like, this is their living. This is how they make a means to an end. If, if these journalists are not able to write stories that are more unique and have access more unique than the access that just the average guy on the street that likes the avalanche is, then what's the purpose of paying them for a living? And this is something that I'm trying to get into full-time. Everybody knows this. I am not full-time in this right now, but it's somewhere I want to be. Well, what's going to offer me? Who is going to offer me a full-time salary to do this full-time if I'm getting the same access living here that I would living in my mom's basement in Denver, in Detroit, like I was in 2018, 17, 19, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not receiving anything special by being here. And I understand it's a pandemic. What I'm saying is, where are the Avalanche going to go with this and what kind of access are they going to allow their media? Granted, the PHWA, the Professional Hockey Writers' Association is on top of this and always making sure that no no media outlet is being left behind and you know they're keeping an eye on the Denver market because we are one of seven teams right now that are not allowed in for training camp. Only seven of the 31 teams right now, their media cannot access training camp. One of them is Toronto, which is the biggest market, um, but we know what's going on in Ontario. So where are they going to go with this and where is the access going to go from here i'm really curious to see it and i i'm i'm extremely cautiously hopeful and optimistic that things will go back to normal but we will see and the thing about the avalanche media and, and the way that they handle their social media accounts and the pictures they post and like you said the martin Cout is focused and the ian cole uh shaved his beard or whatever it is the biggest issue that I've had with Avalanche Media in general, and the way that they cover the team here, is it's almost a sign of disrespect to their te- to their fans, because Avalanche fans, hockey fans, are diehard fans. There's no such a thing as an average hockey fan. There's no such a thing like, and every dude you run to on the street, every girl you can run to on the street, who's just like an average, you know, fair weather football or basketball fan, will tell you, yeah, Clemson's a great team, and Alabama's a great college team. And and uh, and Zion Williamson a couple of years ago was this big prodigy that was going to come out of college and all this and so on and so forth. And they might know who the McCaffrey brothers are and things like that. There is no such a thing as the hockey version of that. The hockey version of that might exist somewhere in Canada, but it doesn't exist in the States. Hockey fans here are diehards. So when the Avalanche don't go out of their way to talk more about the actual game, the line combinations, not just the line combinations, but the the way that the game is playing, the tactics, Jared Bednar, what they're doing, what they're implementing, the penalty kill, the power play. This is why I like to talk about the more nerdy stuff because fans deserve it, fans want to hear it, they don't want to be babied. And the Avalanche baby their fans far too much. And this is why I also like to talk about NHL related stuff, not just Avalanche related stuff, because Avalanche fans are hockey fans. And as hockey fans, they like to hear about what we talked about last week. Was about Zdeno Chara leaving Boston. That's the version of Tom Brady leaving the Patriots. People want to hear about that. They don't want to be babied into a corner where let's talk about only Avalanche-related things and let's dumb it down to a to a certain level. So I've I've had a general issue with this since I got here because it's not what I saw in Detroit. It's not the same coverage. It's not the same respect I saw in Detroit. But at the same time, I'm new to this. I'm still learning. Maybe things will change. Maybe I have the wrong impression. Um, and I'm by no means bashing the organization. But at the same time, I feel like there is room for improvement, if you if you get what I mean.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you look, uh, I guess, across their hall. I don't know where it's actually located, but at altitude, the TV network, right? If that's yeah, that's just another waving sign of middle fingers that, that it's not about the fans, right? And it's tough to feel that way because the fans are a huge part of it, but you still have that select few that, you know, caters to the Avalanche Twitter and, and still answers and, you know, acts like the clapping monkey with symbols in their hands and just does what exactly what the Avalanche media is looking for. But it, it you just can't help but feel that with the players, it's about them and it's about the guys inside the locker room and you know the the new zoom press conferences you know the players are happy about it so you got to feel it's probably going to be the direction of things in the future which which is annoying but you know this is way easier for them way uh, less stressful and you know there are certain players on the team that even if you have them in person they don't want to tell you anything anyway they answer the, they answer a question that you didn't
1: even ask them you know but but ha- it doesn't it doesn't matter it's in the end if you're there in the locker room if you have that access you're still able to develop relationships and get stories it's it's a long conversation that we can talk more about and literally devote an entire podcast to Uh, At the end of, you know, hopefully at the end of this tunnel that we're experiencing called the pandemic and called, you know, well, now it's 2021, but 2020 going into 2021 and, you know, maybe vaccines will start to roll out and the country will get better and people will get healthier and we can start to you know have 18,007 fans at the Pepsi Center and have at Ballerina I should say and have media there and have locker room access at that point we can actually devote an entire podcast to this because at that point I'm very curious to see what kind of access we get if at all
0: it just sucks because I'm, I'm just bummed and I've been bitter about it all week because you know the, oh I know <laughs> the, the means are definitely there it's definitely possible and I think it yeah. would take very little effort just to you know make make a lot of People happy that are supporting a, a team that has yeah. a lot of potential here. So forgive the twelve minute rant, fifteen minute rant, whatever it was. But um you know, I just had to get off. My chest has been eating at me all week. I, I, they're just sucking the fun out of all of this for me right now.
1: Yeah, and and we're supposed to be podcasting twice a week, but I will be honest; like it's hard to do that twice a week. And and you mentioned this to me on Sunday. It's hard to do it twice a week when we don't have access because there's just not much to talk about. So once a week is what we're going to have to do until the season starts, and. You know, we're noticing it on the press conferences. You know, for the fans that are going on the Avalanche website and watching the Zoom calls that we are having with Bednar and the players daily. Um, by the second or third day, everybody just has their hands up in the air, doesn't know what to do, doesn't know what to ask because they're we're not there, we're not seeing it. When Miko Rantanen came on his media availability, I'm not sure if you watched that, if you were part of that one. But when Miko Rantanen had his he media, said nothing. Yeah. So not only did he say nothing. But he came on, and the avalanche said, "We have Miko Rantanen here. Use the hand-raising feature to ask a question." Silence for seven seconds.
0: Danielle even had to say, "Don't does be any- shy, guys."
1: Does anybody have? A- yeah, does anybody have a question for Miko Rantanen? And then the avalanche communications guy, Ryan Bolding's buddy, Ron, had to jump in and ask the question just to break the silence. And he works for the avalanche website. And then finally, they started coming on. But we're having, we're all asking the same questions. How was your off season? How is this? How is that? We can't ask any on ice related questions because we don't know who they're skating with. We don't know what kind of drills we did. Hey, Miko, uh, that drill that you had with the team where you guys were doing down low drills in the corner and you had that nice pass to McKinney. We don't have access to any of that to talk about it. Uh, that play where Tyson Jost went down in the corner because a puck hit him in the, in in the, in the leg. Um, you know, what did you, what, what did you see there? Did you talk to him afterward? Like we don't have access to anything. And by the way, Tyson Jost did not get hit. He's not down. This is just an example. Like we don't have access to things to talk about. So we're kind of twirling our thumbs and not really sure what to talk about. So we will see where it goes, um, I just hope that the media availability is at least as good as it was in the playoffs, which was which was decent uh, in the sense where, you know, we can watch these games at Ball Arena and then and then they ask us, they, they put players on Zoom, and obviously they get to pick the players, which sucks, but we get to ask our questions and after watching the game, which we'll hopefully get to do live. So we'll see where it goes. It's going to be a weird season for everyone. I'm sure fans are sitting here going, give it a rest. You know, you guys are sort of ranting about something that's unnecessary, but at the same time, it's... It's a very uncomfortable and weird place to be as a reporter and as a journalist and trying to write about these guys and these games uh, and and develop stories out of basically thin air. Well,
0: and I think even the listeners and the fans, like, they got to be a little bit bothered by this because I'm sure they've noticed the quality of information that they're getting yeah. this year, right? I mean, they're used to me yep. tweeting up a storm, AJ tweeting up a storm, Rudo tw- tweeting up a storm, Mike. Adrian Dater, you know they're used to having ten different guys, ten different perspectives coming at them all at once, and now they get zero Video
1: videos and yeah, videos and clips and pictures and hey, here's this drill down here. During the Phase Three training camp, when the Avalanche had their training camp in July, I got a video of Jared Bednar completely reaming into the team during one of the practices and just literally cussing the daylights out of them from for yeah. for you know
0: telling them they're going to be doing a drill soon. wrong.
1: Yeah, telling me they're going to be golfing soon, which is literally the words he said. And I posted that online and I posted it into an article form. And the amount of hits we got on it was crazy because people want to see this. People want to know what's happening. And when we don't have that access to give them that, because right now the fans don't have access. They can't go to the games. They can't even watch it on TV because Altitude is still doing whatever the hell they're doing. There's no access for a team that literally could win their first day on the cup in 20 years.
0: Well, it was nice to get that off of our chest. Uh, you know, that being said, we are back in action, so let's get excited, put the negativity let's aside, yeah, and, you know.
1: Uh <laughs> after sixteen
0: minutes. As you said. I needed to get it's, that off my chest. It's been a rough it's,
1: been, it's been, yeah, it's been it's it's been a rough day in this country in general, so I think it this this works because it would be hard to just sort of talk about hockey and have, you know, lollipops and rainbows and positivity, so Let's get into that part, though, because we are a week away. It's 8.45 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Wednesday, January 6th. At about this time next week, the puck will be dropping for opening night with or without us there. Who the hell knows? But hockey will be happening.
0: Yeah. And obviously, that's a quick turnaround for the start of training camp to their first game, which everybody's asked about 100 times already. But I think we heard Jared Bednar make a really good point when it comes to that. And it's just not that hard. The the it, where this team currently is right, what they have that many returners, and they just have to ex- essentially fit in a two or three guys here and then just build off of what they've already built the last two, three years, it's got to be a lot easier for, for training camps, a lot smoother to just jump and get right back into the swing of things.
1: Yeah. And he even mentioned that. So there's obviously we'll get into it. There's five guys that are missing from training camp that haven't been able to participate. Four of them are big names. One of them is not as big a name. Uh, and, and two of those names or three of those names, I should say, are Landeskog, Eric Johnson and Brandon Saad. So that's a top four defenseman and two of your and your two wingers on the second line, and we'll get into those line combinations soon. Um, but the thing is about those three players. He said it straight up. He said Landeskog and Johnson know what we do around here. They know how things work because it's not like Jared Bednar is going to come in and change this style of play. This is a great team, and he's got a great thing going. He said Brandon Saad, who's you know sitting somewhere in a hotel room or locked in quarantine somewhere, they won't tell us what it is, but we all know what it is because we're all hinting, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, at what it is. Um, he said we're is having. It though? Is it? I- I have a sneaking I suspicion. I wouldn't they, necessarily. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, sneaking suspicion that they decided to sit five guys that they know are going to be f- f- just fine, and that maybe allows them to bring in a, another five to get a good look at that they maybe wanted, you know, a closer look at.
1: I I disagree, and the reason why I disagree is because if those guys were added to the camp participate list from the beginning, kind of like Jonathan Taves and Kirby Dock in Chicago, that would have allowed them to add more guys to their training camp roster. Basad Landeskog, Grubauer, Keaton Middleton, and uh, I'm missing one, and Gabe Landeskog were all part of the 36-man roster. And even if they just wanted to do that just to get a better look at Shane Bowers or Tyson Jost or Kiefer Sherwood or whoever it may be, they would not be sitting one of the two new guys being Brandon. Just
0: strange to me. We were told that the day before that everybody's healthy, everybody's ready to go even saw lines.
1: And that's exactly why it's it's. And that's exactly why we all know what this is. And Mike has Mike Chambers has literally hammered away with Bednar at this for the last three days, putting (laughs) Bednar in an uncomfortable situation where he says, I don't know what you want me to say because I can't answer your questions. The reality is, all five of those guys were healthy. They probably came in the next day on Monday. They were either tested positive or they were exposed to somebody who tested positive and they were told you have to quarantine. You cannot participate. And Jared Bednar said on Monday, when asked by Mike Chambers, when will these guys be back? He said they're all under different protocols and different timestamps. And that's exactly what it is. He cannot say what it is, while also saying what it is, is that it's not a physical injury. This is what this is what's happening. I don't know when they're coming back. And when we w- when he was asked, can they work out? He said yes. They can work out on their own. They have access to fitness on their own, like each individually. And we all know what it is. They were either tested positive or they were exposed to somebody who tested positive, or maybe one of them tested positive and the other ones were exposed. Um, whatever the case may be. It's, it's something related to COVID. And uh, back to my initial point, which is what you started this, this segment with, is he, t- he said, Eric Johnson and Gabe Landeskog, it doesn't really matter if they're missing time because they've been here, they know what we do here, they know how things work. He said, with Brandon Saad, we are having daily calls with him and sending him videos and talking to him about strategy and game planning. Because Brandon Saad is not a part of it. Him and Devon Taves are the two big acquisitions, the two new guys. So that's kind of the way, and, and I like the way that you talked about that. And Devon Taves, he was made available the first thing when we asked him about the about being part of the Avalanche. That was the first thing he mentioned. He said the chemistry here is unreal. Everybody knows each other. Everybody's on the same page. And he said, I'm the one new guy that's you know learning the ropes. So it's, it's, it, it speaks a lot, and it gives them a good advantage, a lot more than a team that might have five or six or seven or eight new guys coming into training camp.
0: It's just great to see, too, because we're just not used to it, right? I mean, three short years ago, we were starting at square one, and now we're here as a contender. Building off of things that have happened In the past and not having much surprises You know years past there's a couple guys Here and there that make opening night roster that were Like what how did he get on there that's crazy I don't think that's going to happen hey, this year real bark. Yeah I yeah. mean we have we we already Know the lines and they're the same lines we expected The same lines we've already seen you know where Years past we're like all right what are the lines how is he Jared Bednar going to work this I mean today we saw he We, we, we got the Burkovsky McKinnon Rantanen in line which I love I love Burakovsky and, and McKinnon together I've said that a million times I'll say it a million and more. Then, of course, we got the nechuskin comford line, and then Calvert-Bellomare and insert name here. It's the second line that he's really been playing with, which is funny, so I want to get into that line a little bit and highlight it. The Nazem Kadri line, of course, he's supposed to have Gabe Landeskog on one side and Brandon Sod on the other. Right now, he's got Tyson Jost and Shane Bowers skating with Kadri. Is there anything to look at it, or is he just kind of filling in just to fill in?
1: He's filling in just to fill in, and that's why these are not Physical injury-related issues. It's hey, let me wait for Brandon Saad and Gabe Landeskog to get the green light from the league to be able to play because they're just healthy. The Gabe
0: Landis- Sorry, I, I keep interrupting you today, no, but the, the
1: Gabe Landeskog thing makes me a
0: little uh, suspicious because we just saw a video last week of Miko Rantanen and Andre Parakhovsky yes. in what looked like Gabe Landeskog's basement.
1: Yes, and that that very much is true, but there could be there could be a, a bunch of different things to that. There could be an idea that you know. Mike Chambers is my roommate. If I test positive for coronavirus today, does that mean he is not allowed in? Or does that mean he has to get tested? And if he tests negative, he's allowed in to training camp or to the Pepsi, to the ball arena or right, whatever. Right. So We're just that's a thing. Yeah, anyway. so it's all speculation. Or it could be a case where after hanging out with Burakovsky and ranting in, Landeskog hung out with somebody who tested positive and now has to... You know, Maybe he went out with Brandon Saad and Saad tested positive. Who knows? Who the hell knows? But I do know that this is going to be a hell of a lot easier during the season because in the return to play for this regular season, they said during training camp it's going to go the same way that the playoffs went. But once the regular season begins, names of the players that test positive will be released. So this is going to be a lot easier in a week if we hear Brandon Saad is out and Jared Bednar has to say he's unfit to play. Well, does his knee hurt? Or does he have COVID? we now will know if it's COVID or not so that's the good which part would is, you prefer the, as, as messed up as <laughs> it a sounds, tough question the huh? COVID, as messed yeah. up as it sounds yeah. and that's why to me so i i've been sort of you know curious with jared bender about what his line combinations would be because if he suddenly takes Kadri and plays him with nichushkin who played a lot with Kadri last year and puts don on the other side and then puts maybe jost with comfort and then throws belmar Uh, with uh, O'Connor and whoever, that would be the line combinations of a coach who is saying these players are out, they're injured, let me change it up. But all he's doing right now is saying, let's get McKinnon, Rantanen, and Burakovsky playing together as they should be. Let's get Nichushkin, Donskoy, and Komfer uh, playing together as they should be. Let's get uh Belmar, Calvert, and one of O'Connor or Joost or Kiefer Sherwood is apparently this new big name that they're they're testing out. Let's get them playing together as they should be. And well, Kadri, we'll just throw a couple guys on his line as fill-ins until we get the green light that Saad and Landeskog can leave their hotel room and their quarantine and come join us. I keep saying hotel room like they're in a bubble. They're not in a bubble, but you get what it's I just... mean. The yeah. fact that he's not changing up the lines and he's just mm-hmm. inserting random names with Kadri is just saying, placeholder, go play with Kadri until I get the green light that Lance are allowed in.
0: Right, and that's just more to my point is just how, how much of a delight it is to be more comfortable now, right? We have the lines yeah. in place. We know who's going to play where, and it's just such a difference from the previous 10 years. I mean, you'd get a rebuilding team, that got nowhere, start over. Rebuilding team, got nowhere, start over. It's just it's such a refreshing feeling, something we haven't felt around here to just have some comfortability heading into training camp. But, you know, it's a different season. It's got a lot different look to it. I think it's going to be a bit harder than we anticipate. But yeah, we'll get into the season uh, and the schedule yeah. a little bit later here. Right now, I kind do of want a- to say one thing okay. before,
1: you, before you turn a corner on uh-huh. this podcast is I'm going to go back to nerdy numbers. That game seven against San Jose a couple of years ago with the offside call and, and with that whole mumbo-jumbo when the Avalanche lost. That was 84 games ago because there was only 69 regular season games and there was a 15-game playoff. That was 84 games ago, even though it was almost 18 months ago. From then till now, we've said many, many times back then, and this is, what is it, May 2019 at the time, the Avalanche need a middle six. They have a great top line, they have a great fourth line, and no middle six. Well, if you look at the middle six now, you have JT Conference centering the third line, and that is a holdover. The entire second line... Let's put Landis up on the first line. The entire second line of Saad, Burakovsky, and Kadri is new. And the two guys that Confer is playing with, Donskoy and Nichushkin, all new. It's it's fascinating to me, and it's mind-boggling how quick this team has turned around. And these aren't players that are signing one-year deals. These are players that are sticking around. You know, Saad's here for one year. Kadri's got a few more years on his contract. Burakovsky just signed an extension. Nichushkin just signed an extension conference here for a while. Donskoy signed for four years when he signed. So it's just crazy how quick this team has changed. And and I love it.
0: Yeah, you could definitely say that about the forwards, but transitioning my, me nicely to where I was going anyway, Beautiful. anyway, is the defense. I mean, that, that transition happened way faster. I mean, I think, you yeah. know, in the last two years, suddenly that defense has gotten a complete makeover. And so let's get into that a little bit. We got... Uh, I guess the rumor that Devon Taves and Kale McCarr are going to be skating together officially. We still can't confirm because we didn't see it with our own eyes. But how do you, how do you think of that? I mean, I, we heard Bednar compare them, right? And he, he said that they both skate very similarly, especially when they're playing on the defensive And their Their speed and their skill in skating is what makes them tough to get around. Part of me says that's a bit of a red flag. That you're gonna have two guys that kind of play the same style. They both want to be a part of the offense, but they're just both so skilled. You have to play them together, and it's gonna be a treat. I, I I know it. I just hope defensively it holds up.
1: I think it'll hold up, and I think that might be a bit of an over I don't want to call it an overreaction, or just like an over you know you're worrying a little too much about something that we quite frankly haven't seen yet. I'm not going to pretend that we know what Devon Taves game looks like, and we're gonna go back to the fact that Kale McCarr is not Tyson Barry. These are not – we're not sticking Tyson Berry and uh, John Michael Lyles on the same line and saying go. We're sticking guys that are complete defensemen. We're sticking a very good 300-foot player in Devon Taves with somebody who is this generation's Duncan Keith in Kale McCarr or this generation's Scott Niedermeyer in Kale McCarr. So I don't think – I I think you're worrying a little bit too much about that. And we've been talking about this all summer when the Avalanche traded two picks for Taves and signed him for four years. It was with the impression that, hey, this is a guy, as much as Ryan Graves is awesome and he's been doing a good job, that wasn't somebody you expected to be a top-line defenseman, and that's not somebody they probably still think of as a top-line defenseman after the playoffs. Because when McCar went down, you could see just how much he was sort of dragging Graves along, and you know making Graves look better than he is, which is fine. Because you know there's there's a certain thing, there's a certain talent that comes with being able to play with the best players. This is why uh, Pascal Dupuis and and Chris Kunitz were able to play with Crosby. But Kessel and Iginla and other guys like that, were not able to do it. So for Grace to be able to play with Makar is a skill in himself. Devon Taves is not somebody that Makar has to drag around. Is not somebody that Makar has to sort of carry on his back, and it just comes off as a perfect pairing. And uh, I think it's going to go great. I think these are two players, and let's not pretend that Kel Makar is a, a, is a little weak defenseman. Kael McCarr, is a, he's growing by the day. hes He's got some strength in him. He's threw some hits around in the playoffs. And I don't remember if you were in the locker room much last year, but he's a pretty thick kid, and he's only getting bigger, and he's gaining more weight by the year. He's putting on more muscle. I'm not saying by any means that he's going to go out there and be Chris Pronger, but I'm saying again, guys like Duncan Keith and guys like Scott Niedermeyer, Don't get pushed around in this league. Guys like Nicholas Lidstrom, they don't get pushed around in this league. That's the way you have to look at Kel Makar. He's a smart player. He's able to avoid contact and avoid those hard hits. And at the same time, he's got a little bit of skill and fire to him. A little bit of strength and fire to him, I should say, to be able to hold his own. And that's not including Devon Taves, who we don't even know just how physical of a player Devon is or can be. And we're going to learn that real quick.
0: Uh, You know I've made this point. You probably anticipate me making this point today, but... It's no question that the defensive group got softer. They're not just simply not as big, and I know you just refuted that point a second ago, but they're just, you know, whether he's growing and getting stronger, it doesn't make him strong. It doesn't make him as strong as some of the biggest guys that plant themselves in front of the net in the NHL. And I agree with you. They're they're very deep with skill. They got so much skill. I'm just a little bit nervous, especially come playoff time,
1: for the physical side of the game. And, and... And and I understand that, but I would take a Devontae's all day over a Nikita Zadorov, no matter how big and and crazy that guy can be. Uh, his his weaknesses far outweigh his strengths. Literally. That's something
0: I was going to save for later, but we saw that video of him doing a one on one battle drill with Patrick Kang, and 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 I don't know if it was the burgundy colored glasses before but Nikita Zordorov just looks so bad. He almost... I mean, sure, he was probably tired. It was the end of a battle drill, so everything was a little bit slower, but well, he, that's he the just player he is. awful. He that's looks, he that's looks the player he
1: is, and they're going to play him a lot with Adam Bokvis, who's their big version, who's their big prospect, their version of, you know, I'm not going to say Kel McCart-Level, but their big defensive prospect first-round draft pick, and, you know, this brings me back to the avalanche for so many years of just being a terrible team where they bring in a prospect or someone that's going to be this big deal... And they're stuck playing with Greg Zanin, and it's like, well, what the hell am I? How am I supposed to learn playing with this guy? Now you have a Ryan Graves who comes in as a rookie, and congratulations, you get to play with the Boy Wonder. Like it's it's a far different feel for the Avalanche this year, and it's and and I'll take Devon Taves all day over Nikita Zadorov, and you know I I know that. I know how you feel about that strength, and I think that's going to make you feel a little bit more worried about where I think this defense is going to go by the end of the season because I do have a bit of a hot take on where the defense is going to go by the end of the year moving on into next year.
0: Right, and that's kind of what was going to be my next point is, you you know, you throw Bowen Byram in the mix, Connor Timmons, Sam Gerrard, K.O. McCard, Devon Taves.
1: These are small guys. Yeah, so here's what's going to happen in my opinion. When you look at these young defensemen that come in the league, the best thing you can do is th- stick them with a veteran. Stick them with somebody that can take them under their wing. When Drew Doughty came into the league, he played with Willie Mitchell, one of the toughest, biggest defensemen of his generation. Just a mean guy. Uh, I forget the defenseman in San Jose that came in that they put with uh, Douglas Murray. Uh, a a young Dan Boyle. They put Dan Boyle with Douglas Murray. They they combine these young defensemen and say, you're going to learn the ropes from a big veteran that can sort of take you under his wing and cover for you because that's another big portion of the game. It's go make mistakes and know that the veteran will be back there to cover for you. So where I think the Avalanche defense is going to go by the end of the season given Kale, McC- uh, not Kale McCart, the other fourth round draft pick, the fourth overall draft pick given the way Bowen Byram played for Team Canada and the way his stock has risen since that bubble uh training camp back in July the Phase 3 training camp it's it's only a matter of time before Byram's a full-time NHLer Uh I did ask Bednar about him on the very first day and he said that Byram will play games this year Byram will get into the lineup. He'll be wearing jersey number four. He's no longer wearing that training camp number forty-five, so he's got some respect in the league. He's gonna play games this year, and I think Byram is gonna play so well that when you look at the Avalanche defense, who's the one name that sticks out as somebody who's not, you know, a lock on that unit, the six-man unit? Ah, uh, in my opinion, I would go Ian Cole. Okay. Perfect. Beautiful. You walked right into that one for me. So here's what I've seen. Ian Cole's on the last year of his deal. He's the only, I would say, passenger from the six-man unit. And that doesn't mean Ian Cole's a bad defenseman. Two years ago, three years ago, Ian Cole's the number one or number two defenseman on this team. It's just how far the defense has come. Now, with that top pair of Caves and Makar, I think they're going to work greatly together. I think by the end of the year, Byram is going to overtake Ian Cole as the number six defenseman. Because of how well he plays, and because, you know, Bedner's not going to have anybody else to bench but Cole. No matter how well he plays, Cole is not going to, you know, maybe Ryan Graves if he completely falls off the face of the earth, but I have faith in Ryan Graves. I think by the end of the year, going back to the young guy with the veteran, that you're going to see Taves playing with Makar, Graves, assuming he doesn't take a face dive as a defenseman, will be on that pair with Gerard, whether you want to call it the second or third pair, and a young Bowen Byram. Is going to be playing with Eric Johnson, and I think that's what we're going to see by the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're crazy. What we saw from uh, Bowen Byram in the World Juniors, he forced their hand. I think you know what he's he look to me like the pro playing amongst boys during that world junior championship. So, and, and you know, we heard Ian Cole even said he had to shave the beard because it makes him more aerodynamic. I think he's feeling the heat. He knows yeah. he's got to get faster. He's got to get yeah. quicker with it. So um yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Bowen Byram looks like he deserves it. He looks like he's ready and he looks like he doesn't belong in juniors anymore, obviously. So he's ready to make that next step and we'll see how he handles it because of course, when you look like a, a a big fish in a small pond of of juniors, I think you're gonna have a a, a little bit of a tr- hard harder time, Jesus, uh, in the NHL in adapting and everything like that. So we'll see how he goes. But I, I, yeah. of course, they have to use the taxi squad. You'd be stupid not to to use a plethora of players this season with the intense schedule that they're about to play. So we're gonna see Bo Byram, and I think he's gonna probably pass with flying colors.
1: Yeah, and I think there is going to be some load management this year, NBA style, but it's not going to be the, to the McKinnon and Rantanans. Maybe some games they'll play 12, 14, 15 minutes, but I think there'll be a lot of interchangeable Joe Sten O'Connor, maybe even Calvert, maybe even Belmar, Ian Cole, Ryan Graves, where it's like, hey, sit a game, let's bring this guy, and hey, Grubauer, sit a game, Francis is going to play. So there's going to be a lot of that this year, and this doesn't even account for Connor Timmins, who came into the playoffs last year, played out of his mind great with Eric Johnson. And then an injury forced him out. He's back. He's healthy. He's ready to go. If you have all these defensemen eventually making it, I mean, if you can get a Nazem Kadri for a Tyson Barry, what can you get down the line if you have to trade one of Gerard, Timmins or Byron? Probably a Gerard. What can you get for that? If Brandon Saad moves on, if you're looking for another top six winger and Burakovsky moves on in a couple years, who's to say you can't flip a Sam Gerrard for like a Kyle Connor? Like it's it's a great thing to have. And we saw it with Nashville. It's great to have so many good defensemen. Just don't trade Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson and you're great. Just it's 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 a great asset to have defensemen that can play in the NHL. So Ian Cole, he's got one more year left on his deal. He's making $4 million. Let's call a spade a spade. He's probably not going to be around next season. Uh, you get rid of Ian Cole. Let's say you get rid of Ryan Graves because he or because he gets taken in the expansion draft, assuming, like I would have been saying, the avalanche, go to Eric Johnson and get him to wave and protect Taves. Let's say you lose Ryan Graves. Well, now you have Byram and Makar and Taves and Timmins and Eric Johnson and Sam Gerard, and then probably a free agent or two. You can trade one of these guys eventually and get... A haul back for them and that's just the great thing about where this avalanche organization has gone is the fact that they've been so bad for so many years at developing developing defensemen and now they have this riches of them and let's face it Makar, byram and timmins are avalanche drafted defensemen and to have three of those is is surprising because they for the longest time they could just they could never do it outside of tyson berry they couldn't develop drafted defensemen
0: yeah not only that for the longest time it seems like you know going back: Greg Zanin, Brad Stewart, Francois Beauchemin, Patrick uh, Weirkosh, you know, Patrick Weirkosh, Mark Barbario, There's always that one old, older on the tail end of his career defenseman that the Avalanche seem Brad to be Stewart? hanging on to. That slowly, I did. That did, slowly man. drops himself down the depth chart and eventually finds himself out of the team. So I don't, I don't, I don't see that going any differently for Ian Cole. But I think this year. You know moving forward that's not gonna be happening anymore. They're not gonna have that guy. That's just hanging around, you know uh, Hanging on by a thread to his NHL career. So yeah, and and that's Yeah,
1: that's the cool thing really quickly before we before we turn the page We saw really quickly how the avalanche forward group has turned into a point where there is no more passengers There is no more guys like Gabriel Bork or guys like Cody McLeod or AJ Greer or someone like that who. Yeah, so we have these 10 or 11 great forwards and our number 12 on the depth chart is you, so you're in the lineup. There isn't that anymore. The Avalanche have 12 great people in the lineup and that includes Tyson Joseph, one of the 12. But you have Logan O'Connor sniffing behind him, trying to take that spot away from him. I just sniffed into my microphone. And then you have someone like Kiefer Sherwood who who has been credited by Jared Bednar and saying this is someone we're giving a good look at. And then you have someone like Shane Bowers, who's a first-round draft pick, you know, recent first-round draft pick, trying to make a jump into the NHL. So where the offense has gone in that sense, the defense has gone that way really quickly. There's no longer a Mark Barbario. There's no longer a Kevin Connaughton. There's no longer a Patrick Nemeth. There is a bunch of guys that are going to take someone like Ian Cole, who for the longest time was a top four defenseman and a valuable asset, and say, you don't even have a spot on this team if it gets to that point because we have so many good players. And it goes to someone like Ryan Graves and says, hey, we know you came out of nowhere and had a great season and earned a three-year contract, but if you F around, you're out of the lineup. And that's just the great thing about this team is they have all this depth on offense and on defense that is going to continuously push players because if you fall behind, you're not playing. Right, and
0: all this was, of course, stemming from the Bowen-Byram conversation. I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit to that convo and and look at the WJCs a little bit and wrap those up and put a bow on them and talk about them next year. Um, But, you know, Bowen-Byram, I guess one point I did want to make, and this is a bit of a hot take myself, and I'm sure not very many people are going to agree with it, but... Part of me thinks he does still have a little bit of maturing growing up to do. He was great stylistically. I like the way he played the game. I like the energy he brought, and he, he kind of felt like the only one that brought his A game on all of Team Canada yesterday. Um, but, you know, I'm going to sound like a total asshole here, but the the way he cried after the game is what kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I think I'm I okay with that. crying, but when you're bawling for five minutes and you can't get a hold of yourself, can't even look in the camera because you You're still crying, and your teammate has to come embrace you. Like This is a time you need to be demonstrating your leadership, and you need to show that you're not so affected by this World Junior game that you can collect yourself, battle on, and strive forward.
1: I have to ask you a question. I have to ask you a question. Okay. Have you heard of one Ryan Smith, also known as Ryan Smythe because of the way he spells his (laughs) name for some reason, Captain Canada? If you go on YouTube and search Ryan Smith, and I don't know this because I haven't done it, I'm pretty sure the first 27 videos you get are going to be videos of Ryan Smith crying for some reason. <laughs> That's And he's a great captain. He's a great leader. What I saw yesterday from Broin, Bowen Byram, and I'm glad you started with that post-game, You know, having to, to be the one to put the medal on his players as the losing team. What I saw there was maturity. What I saw there was a player who in the moment wasn't going to sulk about it and in the moment was going to with pride put the medal around his team but also get emotional it's an emotional time it's an emotional game we've seen players cry when they win we've seen players cry when they lose i do agree he does have some maturity and and some maturing to do i should say but he's also nine years 19 years old not nine years old uh 19 years old and a great player i just think that the crying at the end of the world juniors is just something that happens it's a it's a sign of it's a sign of you know the emotions getting the best of you um, I do agree it kind of did go on for a little too long. It looked a little awkward at that's one point.
0: What I, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm fine with you crying. It's disappointing and emotional, and it gets the best of you, but you got to gather yourself and, and move on, right? And guess what? Ryan Smith won how many cups? Zero.
1: Oh, that is a. Oh, that is. What is that got to do with anything? I'm gonna get roasted for this take. <laughs> yeah. It
0: might be a bad take, but you know, it if, bothered if, me a little bit.
1: If this if this was the episode with Chris Johnson, he would completely hammer you because you're talking about a Canadian World Junior captain in Bowen <laughs> Byram and a former captain Canada, nicknamed Ryan Smith.
0: Oh man, but, I just made uh, a lot of enemy enemies up yeah. north, didn't I?
1: I? Okay, so I do have one question for you about the World Juniors. What did you think of Eustace Ann and his performance with Finland?
0: Oh, man, he was nowhere to be found. He, d- he was a ghost out there. was terrible, right? Like,
1: that's <laughs> the reason. I'm I'm just kidding. I, I had to throw that at you to take a jab at you. And in his 20 years old, please don't tweet us asking why we're talking about him for the World Juniors. We were just joking. Um, but that was a hell of a gold medal game. I got to stay- hand it to the Americans. They played the perfect game and the best way to play and beat Team Canada. And I have to say something about the way the Americans are developing their talent. And I'm gonna say this because I watched it firsthand. The 2019 um, U.S. National Development Team program was all over this roster, and I don't have it pulled up in front of you. But Cole Caulfield, Trevor Zegers, Matthew Baldy, Spencer Knight—those are four guys. And I'm sure there's more. I wish I had the roster. I wish I had the roster pulled up and prepared for that segment. But a lot of the guys on that U.S. National Team Development Program from a few years ago, from two years ago. In Plymouth, Michigan, we're a part of this team. And I love the way the Americans have gone with their development because it's very Russian-like. It's very Finnish-like, where it's a bunch of young kids that play together throughout their teenage years. Unlike Canada, where it's, hey, let's take 17 guys from all over the country and stick them together. And Alex Newhook goes, oh, yeah, I've kind of played with that guy once and that guy twice, and I went to a camp with him. But the Americans are doing it the right way. They're developing their young players together. And uh, I think it's a testament to how they play. It's a testament to the kind of chemistry they had right off the bat. Uh, The Canadians did not have that chemistry right away. Granted, they played a hell of a tournament just because of the sheer skill and talent on their team, Canada, that is. The Americans really, really played a perfect game. And it's because a lot of these guys have played together for so many years. And that's not an excuse. Everybody knows I'm Canadian. I was going for Canada. But I love where Americans' development has gone. And this is a cool statistic for you. The last 12 World Juniors, 2010 through 2021, America has four gold medals in the World Juniors. Canada has three. Finland has three. Sweden has one. Russia has one. The Americans have one more gold medal than the next best team, and that's Canada.
0: Yeah, and that stems from Team USA just kind of looking at themselves in the mirror and starting from scratch. I remember, you know, I coach on and off here throughout the years. And about 10 years ago, they decided to come out with what's called the American development model. And they just said, Let's scrap everything we've done up to this point and we're gonna replan how we're gonna bring these kids up from the time they're four years old until they're off to college or off to to the NHL, what have you. And sure It's only been about 10 years, so it probably hasn't fully taken its effect yet. But what it has taken effect is just that change in mindset, that change in saying, hey, Team USA, we need to do something better here because what we've done in the past, it's been okay, But we need to be a powerhouse. This is the USA, for God's sakes. We need to have one of the top teams in the world. And I think the last 10 years have been amazing with what they've done they've cleaned it up from from top to bottom and just have really tried harder in all aspects of developing players in
1: america and i love it i love to see it and here's the crazy thing so trevor zegras is this amazing player that's kind of burst onto the scene and i think he's going to be a he's going to be a force in the nhl this season with the anaheim ducks and i think he's going to be a massive player next year at 20 years old we haven't even gotten into the fact that the 2022 winter olympics are literally 13 months away And for the first time, and I'm Canadian, and I'm going for Canada all the way, and I will always cheer for Canada. Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid are going to be the two best centermen on that team, assuming they both play center. Maybe Sidney Crosby plays center and McKinnon plays wing. Who knows? Nathan McKinnon and, and Connor McDavid are two of the best players in the game. And for the first time, the Americans can pull out an Austin Matthews and a Jack Eichel and say, we have that too. They never had that in the past. If you go back to the 2010 Olympics, when Canada had like all these skilled guys on their fourth line, first of all, the 2010 Olympics, which feels like yesterday, Jamie Langenbrunner was part of that team. And that dude is a 1990s player. He was part of that team. The top two centers for the Americans were Ryan Kessler and Paul Stastny. Those were the two guys that they had going up against Sidney Crosby in, 20, in 2010. And in 2014, the Americans still had the Ryan Callahans of the world on their roster. Now it's gotten to the point where Patrick Kane is still going to be a force next year. You have an Austin Matthews. You have a Jack Eichel. You have the Kachuk brothers. You suddenly have and Trevor Zegras. You suddenly have a ton of talent. And if Canada has to trot out Carey Price and fingers crossed, Carter uh, Carter Hart, not Carter Hutton, Carter Hart is ready to go as a Canadian goaltender because I don't believe in Jordan Binnington. We talked about that last week. Well, the Americans have John Gibson, who's probably one of the better, most underrated goalies in the league, just stuck on a bad team. So finally, the Americans have a team that can, you know, outmuscle and 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 sort of go up against Canada roster player by roster player. McDavid and McKinnon, sure. We have Eichel and Matthews. Bring it on. I love Zegras. I mean, I feel Z- so dirty. I feel so dirty. I just, I mean, every much. year USA has a guy <sighs> like that, go right? Like,
0: Troy Terry, uh, you know, Zegras. I, I, I just loved. The, it felt like he had more support around him. He, he's flashy. He loves the camera. That was sweet to see. But having the skill like uh, it, brink, uh, Turcotte, Brink. Turkot, You know, Turcotte. <laughs> Turcotte's
1: um, another one that was on that USNTDP program.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just, it's just great to watch a lot of skill and not so much the hard, grindy, let's play USA hockey, right? Now it's about talent, and they're they're hanging with the Canadians, and they're not just, not just oh, wow, Canada's so good, so skilled. We got to play a grindy, get it low, and four-check hard kind of style game. They can play the same style game
1: and beat them now. Yeah, and that's the awesome thing about it. And no disrespect to Troy Terry, but Trevor Zegris is a notch level, maybe, maybe a few notches above Troy Terry. Uh, Troy Terry's a Denver kid, and that's why we all love him, a DU kid. But... Trevor Zegers, to me, has Patrick Kane potential, and it's it's crazy that he fell so far in that draft where there was just so much talent available. But I, like I said, I'm really excited to see a lot of these rookies. I'm excited to see Byram in the NHL. I'm excited to see Trevor Zegers. That Jake Sanderson, uh, Jeff Sanderson's kid, the Ottawa draft pick, is looking like a hell of a defenseman. The defenseman that he was taken right above, and a lot of people debated who is better, Jamie Drysdale, he was playing on that top unit with Bowen Byram, and he looks awesome. And one, Drew Hellison was the number one line defenseman. It was a top line defenseman on the Americans playing alongside Jeff, uh, not Jeff, but Jake Sanderson, Drew Hellison, the Avalanche Draft pick from 2019. Congratulations to him. Gold medal. And there's another defenseman that we don't talk about. And that doesn't include switch back to the Canadian side. Justin Barron was on that team and did have a pretty damn good tournament playing alongside Caden Gooley. So a lot of guys coming into the NHL, a lot of great young prospects. Four of them for the Avalanche in that game yesterday, and that doesn't even include, once again, Alex Newhook, who likely could be the Avalanche's version of a trade deadline acquisition when the college season ends in April and the Avalanche are still in their regular season.
0: Yeah, he definitely, I would say, was somewhat of a disappointment. Not entirely. I think he showed spurts of brightness, but overall, you know, especially when going back to what started this conversation, when you compare how Boehm Byram looked comparatively to everybody else versus how yeah. Alex Newhook looked it still looks like Newhook's got a way to go um before he really makes a dent in, in an NHL organization.
1: Yeah, uh and the Avalanche don't need him right now and that's the great part they can slowly develop him. If he's ready to go next season as in October literally in 9 months from now. Holy crap. Like literally that's the craziest thing to me. In 9 months from today, October 6, 2020, we could be talking about opening night of that season. But we're talking about like it's just this this entire year is going to be such a blur. Like the Avalanche could win a cup, raise a banner, have their summer, all that, and be well into next season in like the next nine months. But if, if if Alex Newhook is ready by then, great. If not, then hey, Brendan Saad, come on over. Let's bring you in for another year, another two years. Let's bring in another UFA for a year until he's ready.
0: Yeah, along with the blur of the season is going to go An unprecedented Lake Tahoe outdoor game, right? Let's get into that a little bit since that was announced since our last podcast. Um, You know, my first thoughts are, you know, that's kind of weird. How are you going to put a whole NHL game on a lake, right? There's a lot of issues with ice when it comes to pond hockey. I'm sure they'll handle that. But, you know, I think of weight. I picture, you know, Mystery Alaska was just on NHL Network uh, before we were recording this podcast. I went and watched it a little bit. And I always, watching that movie, I'm like, how do they fit? All these stands on the ice, and all these boards, and lights, and cameras, and equipment, without any of it cracking or any of it jeopardizing the quality. Never of the ice. Doubt, so I'm, I'm Never doubt. Never doubt
1: go. the abilities of the but NHL, NHL a lake, ice sure. guru on synthetic, never doubt made, the handmade the abilities sure. of NHL ice guru Dan Craig. Never doubt. I'm doubting it. I'm gonna wait till I see it. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It's going to look really friggin' cool, and I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, I think it's going to be great to see. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful—it's an experiment, but it's going to look great. Uh, The the camera angles that they can probably have, the drone footage that they can have of that game is going to be a lot of fun. But the coolest thing for me is I think it's Boston and Philadelphia play the day before, and then Colorado-Vegas, or maybe it's the other way around, Colorado-Vegas. No, Boston and Philadelphia play on the Saturday, correct? I think Colorado-Vegas plays first. Okay, so Colorado Vegas and then Boston and Phil, uh, Boston and Philadelphia. The fact that the Avalanche are one of the four teams that are doing this says all you need to know about where this team is. It's not Chicago Vegas. It's not St. Louis Vegas. It's we're going to take this young team that is suddenly— if, if you hated watching Chicago on national TV and you hated watching Chicago and all these outdoor games and all of the coverage they got and you're an Avalanche fan— then you better not be a hypocrite over the next five years when Nathan McKinnon is shoved down the throat of every hockey fan in the country. And that is a testament and a positive and a compliment to who the Avalanche are and what they've become. And that's why Chicago was shoved down everybody's throats for so long. They were a damn good team and deserved it. So I am excited to see this. I am excited the Avalanche are part of this. And it's going to be really cool to watch.
0: And like you said, it's a bit of an experiment. So if you're going to experiment with some season points, too, points that actually matter, why not do it with some of the top four teams that you know at the end of the season it's not going to affect their year one way or another, you know, where a, a bubble team, you'd hate to put them out on an experimental game, yeah. and they lose the points, and suddenly they're out of the playoffs by two points. So Exactly,
1: um, and it's, it's Colorado versus Vegas, so it's the two teams that are actually going to be battling for positioning. Uh, it's it's not Colorado versus Minnesota where Colorado might blow a game to Minnesota and then be like, well, we could have beat Vegas. Well, no, you're playing Vegas in this game.
0: Sticking with the bitter mentality and my little bit of a pessimistic attitude tonight, <laughs> I think the schedule ahead is going to be a lot tougher than we're anticipating. I mean, we we know the teams and we're like, oh yeah, Avs can beat that team. But what we're failing to calculate and factor in is just how different games look when um, they're on back-to-backs, right? How often do we see... A team go in and route a team on the first night of back-to-back, and then the second game is a completely different story. And there's so many back-to-backs. They're all back-to-backs this year that I think that's going to throw a really crazy and interesting twist. We even heard Jared Bednar say this year is going to be a lot different on the coaches more so than the players having to adjust.
1: Yeah, because you have to game plan for that next game. If you're going to play L.A. and you're going to beat them the first time, well, when you come back the second time, they're going to make some adjustments, and they have a pretty good coach in Todd McLennan who's – who's going to make those adjustments. Uh, The reason why I'm not going to be as pessimistic about this, JJ, is because this is the same schedule for the entire league. So if the Avalanche are beating LA on the first night and struggling on the second night, but the Vegas Golden Knights are beating LA on the first night and on the second night, that to me doesn't say, well, the Avalanche schedule sucks. That to me me says Vegas is doing something better. Whether it's the coaching from Pete DeBoer doing better than Jared Bednar And, you know, those two guys went at each other in 2019 in that playoff series. Whether it's Vegas' skill is overpowering Colorado's skill, it's something that everybody's going to have to deal with. So if you're the avalanche, you need to be the team that sticks out.
0: I agree. And then, uh, of course, we got into a little bit last week the importance, uh, that was with Chris Johnson of – the matchups with both Vegas and St. Louis, those are really going to be the biggest tests for the Avalanche this year, right? And I know you wanted to dive into those a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah, so mainly I wanted to dive into the Vegas Golden Knights. So the St. Louis Blues, I will start with them just to give a little kicker. You know, we, we since we last recorded, they they announced the Mike Hoffman News, or maybe that was before. I forget at this point. Days are sort of mixed together nowadays. Uh in 2020, last year, the St. Louis Blues signed Mike Hoffman to that PTO. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's getting a contract. He is going to be a part of that team. He's going to be there to replace Vlade Tarasenko because Tarasenko starting the season injured and might be out for quite a while. Uh, they lost uh, Petrangelo. They replaced him with Krug. You know, they have a pretty decent team. We talked about it a lot with CJ. Their backup goalie is Vili Huso. We'll see how he turns out because uh, if Bennington doesn't play well, St. Louis is in trouble. We're done with them. Now let's go to Vegas. I mentioned last week when we had CJ on that by acquiring Petrangelo, you know, and CJ talked about this as well. By acquiring Petrangelo, Vegas had to trade Schmidt and Paul Stastny, and they didn't get anything back for them. They traded them for fourth rounders and third rounders and just, you know, salary cap dumps, strictly cap dumps. And to cap dump a Nate Schmidt is crazy to me. We're talking, you know, I just mentioned Sam Gerard might get you a Kyle Connor, for example, type of player, and they had to cap dump Nate Schmidt. Was it worth it to get Petrangelo? Who the hell knows? We talked about that last week. The main point that I have from the Vegas Golden Knights roster and what we've seen from them at training camp and their line combinations is I mentioned last week to CJ that by trading Paul Stastny, you've put yourself in a situation where you do not have a second line center and you have a young player in Cody Glass who has a lot of promise but is unproven. And I compared it to if the Avalanche had no Nazem Kadri and had said, hey, Alex Newhook, Go be the second line center on a contending team. How would you, you know, how would Alex Newhook handle that? How would you feel about that? Probably based off the comments you just made on Alex Newhook, not very comfortable. And if Alex Newhook doesn't work, uh, you have to go to your third line center, JT Comfer, and say, hey, buddy, you're playing in the top six now. And if you're a cup contending team, no just suspect to my Michigan man, JT Comfer, you do not want him on your second line. That is the situation the Vegas Golden Knights are in. Because they have Cody Glass. And Cody Glass hasn't even started training camp on the second line. He's on the third line with Andre Roy and Alex Tuck. Or maybe it's Wah. I honestly don't know. On their second line, playing between Pacioretty and Mark Stone, is Chandler Stevenson. And that is about the JT Comfort-level player for their team. Without Paul Stastny. Yes, Stastny is older, but he's a proven commodity and a proven second-line center with Pacioretty and Stone. Now, suddenly, they've put themselves in a situation where... In order to get a second-line center, they have to go back to, like CJ said last week, talking about trading a Max Pacioretty. And, you know, if somebody picks up his $7 million, and how much of that do you have to retain and then you got to turn around and go trade for another centerman. So I just don't see Vegas as a complete a team as the Avalanche. And I understand they have Leonard and Fleury and the Avalanche have Grubauer and Fran And I understand that they have Petrangelo and they have Shea Theodore. But that second-line center hole is a big question mark to me. And to have Chandler Stevenson and Cody Glass, assuming there's no trades or you don't pull something out of the air, watch them go trade for friggin' Dubois tomorrow. But assuming that they don't have a new second-line center, how do you match that up against the Kadri line?
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a really long way of of just saying they're overrated, right? And I mean— this team kinda of feels like <laughs> basically yeah, this team kinda of feels like they've been overrated in the past, but they somehow still squeak their way in and and they're still the pest and I've never thought they're that talented, they're that skilled, they're that good, but they they figure out ways to do it and perhaps some nights it's on the back of goaltending, some nights it's on the back of some good goal scoring. But yeah, they, they don't seem like it. a complete team to G- me either.
1: The only reason why Vegas made it to the third round last year is because St. Louis had a terrible bubble experience and was ousted by the Vancouver Canucks, who had no business making it to the second round. Because if the Vegas Golden Knights had not—sorry, uh, if the Vancouver Canucks had not beat the Blues, Vegas would have had to play Dallas, and Colorado would have had to play St. even Louis. that went to seven, didn't it? Yeah, and that went to seven, and that's because Thatcher Demko completely— Thatcher Demko destroyed yeah. Vegas's offensive confidence where when they went into the series against Dallas, they couldn't score on Anton friggin' Hidobin. So had St. Louis came into the, come into the bubble and been the team that they were in the regular season like the Avalanche did, like the Golden Knights did, the Avalanche and the Blues would have had a hell of a second-round matchup, and Vegas would have had to play Dallas in the second round. And that, you know, judging by how Dallas played last year, judging how they played the Avalanche in the second round, Vegas would have been in trouble. And that's with the fact that they had the whole flurry situation going on. And I still, you know, and and I know CJ said he doesn't agree with it. And he said Brian Burke agrees with it, his colleague at Sportsnet. But I still can't wrap my head around the fact that Vegas had this team of misfits the first year, got rid of James Neal, got rid of David Perron, got rid of all these guys. Marc-Andre Fleury was the name and the face of their organization. And they brought in Robin Leonard and gave him a contract extension and sort of put Fleury in this awkward situation because his agent tweeted out something. Nate Schmidt signed a six-year deal with them. They traded him one year into the contract. Max Pacioretty signed a four-year extension. He's all over the trade market. William Carlson's all over the trade market. Jonathan is all over the trade market. What are you doing? It just feels like a very uncomfortable situation. But I do agree with CJ with the fact that It's still Vegas. It's still a great organization. They have a great fan base, and you have a tax benefit by playing for the Golden Knights. So it's going to be hard. It's going to take a little bit more than what they've done so far to tarnish their reputation with with unrestricted free agents because we just saw Petrangelo, who is a family man, sign there. But the only reason why Petrangelo signed in Vegas, in my opinion, is because... He got a full no movement clause because he said, "Hey, I don't trust what you guys are doing. Trading Nate Schmidt, trading Max, wanting to trade Patcheri. What you've done to Flurry? Uh, who knows if Shea Theodore is going to be out the door? Or William Carlson or any of these guys? I don't get the hype for that team. They always come back, like you said, and win. And you know, in the end, they made it to the third round, and the Avalanche didn't. And I understand that, with or without Vancouver being that matchup or whatever it may be, whatever excuses I just made up. But I just don't." buy the hype for the Golden Knights this year
0: yeah that conversation being had you know we talked the schedule we talked the Knights and St. Louis I think honestly the schedule and the difficulty of this 56 game season is really going to be the Avalanche's toughest opponent not so much the teams they're playing but just the hurdles that come with injuries and back-to-backs just being healthy yeah and just simply being healthy so you know that's that's pretty good if yeah, a lot of, a, a lot
1: a lot of it is going to go into how how Jared Bednar uses his taxi squad if he gives Vecchione a game here and there and sure what a game here and there and Shane Bowers and you know he's already said Bowen Byram and Connor Timmins Martin Cow is another one we keep forgetting about there's a lot of depth on this team now and Logan O'Connor and Tyson Jose where you can sort of plug and play with the lineup if Nichushkin goes into a bit of a rut like he did a couple times last year uh, you can pull him out of the lineup. You can put somebody else into the lineup. So there's a lot of moving parts on this team. And Jared Bednar, I think, is going to play it really well and play it differently like a lot of coaches are. Uh, but, yeah, that's going to be the biggest challenge is going into the playoffs hoping to be healthy and ready to go.
0: Well, it's only one week away, so I, I like the little preview we had this this week. Sorry we didn't bring bring one on Sunday, but, you know, circumstances didn't get allow us to. So I love what we have so far. I think it's time to prepare our descent. And that brings us to our social media moment of the week, which I know you have prepared for us. I think we even touched on it earlier in the podcast.
1: We did, and uh, that was a video. If you guys follow Miko Rantinen on Instagram, he was watching the Sweden versus Finland game in the conf- in the in the quarterfinals, not the conference quarterfinals, the quarterfinals of too. the World Juniors. Hell of a game! So Sweden went up two nothing. Uh, the second goal was scored by six foot eight Elmer Soderblom. Draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings, a late draft pick of the Red Wings, uh, six foot eight, two hundred and forty pound, massive winger. Just looks awkward out there. Looks like Zdeno Chara without you know with his eyes closed and and his skates one size too small. Playing forward, which looks even more weird because he's out there on the wing, sort of going around, and he's in the slot, and he's out by the by the half wall, and he's this massive dude. But anyway, look him up, Elmer Soderblom. He scored a about- between-the-legs goal, and it was the second mm-hmm. time he had done it in a week. It was a beautiful goal. That gave Sweden a 2-0 lead. Going into the third period, Finland made it 2-1. Finland made it 2-2. Two two, and then with less than a minute left, I think it was like 16 seconds or 26 seconds, Finland scored again and took a 3-2 to lead and stunned and eliminated Sweden. Well, Miko Rantanen was watching that game on TV... I'm assuming, like you said, in Landeskog's basement with Gabe Landeskog and Andre Burakovsky, a couple of Swedes. And as soon as that third goal was scored, he pulled out his camera. He got a shot of Burakovsky's distraught face and then a shot of Landeskog going, what the hell was that, to the camera as Finland was celebrating their game-winning goal. And Miko had a fist bump and his arm raised and, and, you know, just having a good time. And it was just a cool moment to see because... Swedes, Swedes, and Finns don't always have the best relationships, but in an NHL locker room, nothing matters because they're all your friends and they're all your boys and they're all your buddies. And that was cool to watch. Granted, Finland did end up blowing it against the Americans the very next game.
0: I wouldn't say blowing it. I mean, that one they lost in the Well, Not blowing it, but yeah, yeah, they 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 didn't necessarily blow it.
1: They they. It was the same exact script. Down two to nothing, made it two to one, tied it up. But then instead of them scoring that last minute goal, the U.S. came back and said, "No, no, no, we're scoring the last minute goal and took the lead and stunned the Finns." Yeah. Hell of a game! Hell of a game! Hell of a tournament, man! It was a lot of fun. The whole World Junior experience was great. Yeah, it started. I mean, there was a lot. more It started blowouts. slow. It started yeah. slow. The whole World Junior experience since the last time you and I talked about it and how terrible it looked in the beginning was great.
0: It was just so nice to have some hockey, and especially in some weird times of day when you're not actually doing anything, or on Christmas Day, for example, New Year's yeah. Eve. Yeah, you got nothing but time to waste. Why not waste it watching some quality hockey? That's what I loved about it.
1: Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and once it got to the semi not the semi-final but the quarterfinals, all four games were close. You know, one of them being that Sweden Finland game. And then it got to the to the semifinals, and you know, the Finland USA game was a lot of fun. Canada destroyed Russia, and then the final was just a great game canada had a ton of chances spencer knight shut him down the usa scored the u.s scored a couple of great goals and just out muscled out skilled and outsmarted the canadians
0: yeah russia sure was a disappointment throughout though i yeah. wish they were a little better this this
1: yeah they, this time around. They, they do they do that often it's it's a weird weird program they have out there
0: and that brings us to our three stars of the week mile high sports three stars brought to you by us and that is transfers us nicely. Star number three goes to Boehm Byram. Obviously, like I said, I just think he really shone brightly throughout the uh, World Juniors, and I, I love the style of game. I love what he uh, brought to the table, and I can't wait to see him blossom and grow and maybe even be trade bait one day. I liked that point that you made. I always no, forget, no, no, you know, you, these players aren't <laughs> all going to stay. Yeah. there's, there's Maybe there's a, a, a chance of moving them down the road, but you're right, it's probably but it's nice Gerard, if anybody.
1: Yeah, it's nice to say, hey, Bowen Byram or Sam Gerrard are not going to stay because we have too many of you and we need to trade one of you for a great forward rather than say, hey, Stephan Elliott, you ended up failing as a prospect and we're going to trade you for Brandon Gormley. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's a good good comparison there.
0: There's a trip down memory lane. That brings us to star number two. We got to give it to Chris Johnston, right, for joining us last week on the pod, giving us a whole hour of his day uh, just for a couple little nobodies like us was very nice of him and uh it was awesome to get to talk to him and he he said a lot of great things i hope he liked us as much as we liked him
1: yeah he he was really awesome he was really great he had nice things to say afterward when i spoke with him and you know i keep in touch with him every time i i need advice or have some questions about the media journalism this industry in general and he's always happy to help and always you know happy to to give a to give time to a young journalist like me and to a young journalist like you and you know stick taps to him loved it uh if you don't follow him, like I said, not that he needs my testimonials, but go ahead and search him at Reporter Chris. He's a lot of fun.
0: And that's to star number one. You got to guess? I'm going to let you guess.
1: <sighs> Give me a second on this one. Star number You're not gonna one. Get team no. USA. No, I was going to say it. Team USA. I cheated. I teams. cheated. It's
0: not a person. It's a you. whole team. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, they I obviously deserve go. it, right?
1: Yeah, enjoy your world, juniors. will take in the gold medal of the Olympics where hey, it
0: matters. Don't get me wrong. I was very conflicted. Early on in the tournament, I put $75 that Canada was going to win it. I got it at a plus 185, so I was pumped. I thought that was a sure thing. So I was secretly rooting for Canada. Um, it, was, it wasn't until about five minutes after the game that I was like, all right, I'm actually happy USA won here because I had, I had money da- on the
1: line there. I had to deal with my damn roommate with Mike Chambers, who before the game goes, you know— The World Juniors is not like the Olympics to me. You know, I don't really have a favorite. I'm American and I'm rooting for the Americans, but I also love to see Canadians do well and Newhook and Byram and Barron do well. But to me, this is more of not an America versus Canada. This is a college hockey versus World Junior game and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter to me who wins and loses. And then the Americans win. He starts sticking it to me, puts the volume on full blast. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm listening to the national anthem and these players getting their medals trying to go to sleep. I'm like, dude. He's like, ah, and he's rubbing it in. And I'm just like, all right. So everything you said was just hocus pocus bullshit.
0: Yeah, I loved the uh, lack of editing on the the broadcast. So that's what we wanted from the Stanley Cup. And they didn't give it to us. The boys were cussing, weren't they?
1: (laughs) Yep. There's a, there's a little bit of that going on. And as usual, they were in the locker room uh, celebrating with water bottles because no one was going to allow them to have alcohol.
0: Right. Absolutely not. Not on camera anyway. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that brings us to the end. I think that was a good pod. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, anything you want to throw out there before we hang them up for the night?
1: That's about it. We're going to try to come back to you one more time before the season opener, hopefully with some news after the scrimmage or sorry, I should say practice next Tuesday before the opening night. And we'll talk about lines. We'll talk about who's playing, who's not playing. Hopefully everybody is healthy. We'll talk about the St. Louis blues and preview that game. The first of 56 this year, let's have some fun. Let's watch some hockey, follow us on Twitter and we'll, you know, join us for the ride.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to read Arif's articles. He's always spitting them out. Make sure to check out the hockey show with Ryan Boulding and myself. We have a lot of fun on that show. Have a lot of great guests. And if you made it this far with the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone, and we got you.